Today on the Topping Show, Mint Mobile sells for $1.35 billion, James O'Keefe launches a new company, Kellogg's to split in half, Andrew Tate's recent appeal is denied, again, Dodge Challenger to hit 215 miles per hour, Biden issues more gun control, Gavin Newsom continues to be corrupt, all of that and much, much more on the Topping Show. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in today. Today's episode of The Topping Show is sponsored by ExpressVPN and Topping Technologies. ExpressVPN helps protect your online data, and Topping Technologies is an IT value-added reseller and services company with a special proficiency in IT security. If you're a business owner or an IT leader, you use some help. Reach them at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Now, jumping into the business part of the podcast, Mint Mobile is going to be sold for $1.35 billion. That is a... Wireless provider, famously owned in part by actor Ryan Reynolds, is noted that T-Mobile is going to acquire the company. Specifically, T-Mobile is going to buy Mint Mobile's parent company, K-A-E-N-A, Kania Corporation, and its subsidiaries, which includes direct-to-consumer wireless brands Ultra Mobile and Wholesaler Plume. The sale will be a combination of 39% cash and 31% stock. It should be also noted they didn't sign on the dotted line today. The final price is subject to change depending on their performance with the end of the deal perhaps more optimistically to be completed mid-year 2023 and that's pretty big ryan reynolds he he owns a fair amount some online forums say he owns about 25 percent of the company he does all their marketing so he's the face of the company for all intents and purposes and it was pretty revolutionary there's only there's less than 20 dollars a month for their cell phone provider plan and they were starting to eat up a lot of the market share from the big three, the big three being AT&T, Verizon, and T-Mobile. It'll be interesting to see. Hopefully the prices don't go up too much. There's a lot of speculation on how, of course, it's going to end and the current contracts, how it's going to affect end users. And it was a brilliant business idea. And some speculate they kind of wanted to buy out from the beginning. Either way, pretty big win for Ryan Reynolds. Now, beloved serial company Kellogg's is going to be split in half. And this is following through on an announcement they made in June 2022. One of the new names of the two companies is going to be Kelanova, which was one of the names submitted by employees, thinking that it was a combination between the Kellogg name, K-E-L-L, and then the end being Nova, which is supposed to be new or sound new. And that entity is going to comprise of the snacks that you might remember. Yeah, Pringles, Pop-Tarts, Cheez-Its, as well as the Morningstar Farms North America Frozen Breakfast. That stock price will be K. The other company will be WK Kellogg, which named appropriately after the founder. That consists of most of the cereals you think of, you know, Fruit Loops, Corn Flakes, Frosted Flakes. And funnel fact, Fruit Loops are spelled wrong. It's not F-R-U-I-T. It's spelled Fruit Loops because someone sued them because they said there's no fruit in it. So that's why it's spelled F-R-O-O-T, Fruit Loop. A derivative of a fruit, perhaps. Fun little business fact for you. On to the fun, exciting automotive news. Dodge, a little while back, announced they're going to go all EV for their Challenger Chargers. So there's the final run campaign where they're making the best gas-powered muscle cars that they can possibly make with all of their engineering resources, which is awesome because you get some of these fantastic end-of-year, end-of-an-era products. They are hinting that it's going to be a sub nine second quarter mile. And they released a commercial, which is quite effective. I'll pull it up. 
so you could hear it. And it is speculated that the full announcement is going to come towards the Leprechaun Little Day, which many call St. Patrick's Day. So in the commercial, it says, Last Call, Las Vegas, Scream at 215 mile per hour. And in the commercial, you got a little leprechaun that's going to spring into, scream into like a little mini handheld fan, which a lot of people are speculating is going to be how much fuel or rather air can go into the engine. Let me play that really quick. It's 19 seconds. Music's pretty good. That's one of the best commercials that I've seen where you don't actually see the product being sold. It's literally that giant demonic looking leprechaun guy screaming into what looks like a handheld fan device. And there's a couple numbers on there. And when he screams all the way, the number being shown on the handheld is 105 at, and then a little comma sign, 3.02 times 2.98. And then the biggest number on the handheld fan device is 1582. A lot of speculation on what that number is going to be. I think it's safe to say it's going to be a phenomenal piece of engineering. It's going to be a great muscle car. Although I think it's a little bit of a lost opportunity for a marketing event where one of their top trim lines for the Challenger Charger is the Demon Edition, which actually used to come with a $1 option where you would get a crate with all the drag race gear you would need, including race slicks, got all the cool tools. It's a brilliant marketing move, and a lot of the enthusiasts really appreciated it. It was a, literally a street legal drag car. You could actually get a passenger seat delete option, so you could have the factory seat, uh, passenger seat deleted from the factory, so it's not even there. And you have a roll cage. It's really, really neat. But for the final send-off for the Demon, it'd be cool if they had, or I thought it'd be pretty interesting if they had the final horsepower being like 1,666 to play on that. With, of course, they'd have to go 1,666 because the previous other demons were already well above 700 horsepower. So you don't want to go down. So it'd be interesting to see. I don't know if maybe they work that into, work that in there. The new Charger is going to be revealed March 20th. And the previous Hellcat, oh, there we go right there. Those are up to about 807 horsepower. Even more impressively, you can get that in a stick shift, which is one of the most rare and fun times you could ever have in a vehicle. So to see a muscle car that you can still technically purchase today, it's going to be end of life soon, with a stick shift with that much horsepower, that's phenomenally awesome. It's probably some fancy way of saying it, but it is truly an end of an era, unless some type of unknown circumstance comes to Moose Delantis, the parent company behind this, in a different direction. Now going on to the culture part of the podcast, and this also kind of creeps upon the business, James O'Keefe launches his own company called O'Keefe Media Group. Famously, he's the founder of Project Veritas, which broke several stories. He actually was one of the ones who helped break the Hunter Biden laptop story, as well as most recently a Pfizer story where Pfizer admitted that they were starting to engineer some more derivatives of COVID. And Project Veritas actually ousted him last month, claiming it was about financial issues and some saying he worked people too hard. I can guarantee you an uh, overwhelming majority of people who, per, who actually supported Project Veritas, they're going directly to his new company to donate there. 
and to sign up for his services because he was the one breaking the biggest stories. He built that company from the ground up. He is the company. So I guarantee you everyone is going to follow him to the new entity. And he's a great independent journalist. He has a lot of great work. So I'll definitely be keeping an eye on his new materials. His, his new Twitter handle for that company is O'Keefe Media, spelled O-K-E-E-F-E-M-E-D-I-A. Other interesting part of the culture, Lexicon, they got the Tate brothers' appeal for release denied again. So Andrew Tate and his brother uh, Tristan Tate were put into a Romanian jail where in that country they can actually hold you for 180 days before presenting any formal charges. So thus far, they've been thrown in there for 100 days, still not officially charged. The Romanian government government took all their assets, including their, I don't know if they owned or they rented that house mansion, but they took that away. It was all their cars. And this is either their second or third time to be appealed and they're just denied. He is also a British U.S. citizen, and of course the U.S. government isn't doing anything here. And the two women, so two women as well as his brother Tristan were arrested, and they are also not charged with anything yet. His latest denial means that he will be in prison until March 29th. That is his fourth appeal since he was just arrested in December 2022. And again, every day that goes by where you don't actually have the public seeing any hard evidence or charges, they're just making him look good. Like regardless of what you think of him, his esotricities or his personality aside, it, if you don't have any evidence that he did anything wrong, you're making him look like a martyr, which is the exact opposite of what all the governments and what a lot of people want to do. So I, it just makes Romania look unprofessional. It looks the whole situation looks suspicious, and it, it, Lord knows it's going to help a lot of conspiracy theories as well as more and more people speculate. Is he really in the Matrix or whatever vernacular interesting thing he said lately? But it's pretty ridiculous that there's still no official charges. And many are speculating if he'll ever get out at all. Or if they just, maybe they catch him or they, they make up a charge. There's, there's a, a great, there's a very, very little transparency in this situation thus far. And... Just knowing the current political climate, I doubt the U.S. is going to trade a prisoner or do any type of trade where we give Romania something in order to get him back. Which I don't even know if he could because he's not being charged for anything. He's just being held. Interestingly enough. Now, going to the politics part of the podcast, Biden orders executive, more executive orders around gun laws. Specifically, he aims to increase the number of background checks to buy guns. And his claim is that it's common sense. And the quote actually is, Check whether someone is a violent felon, a domestic abuser, before you buy a gun. Quote, unquote. That's already the law. If you go to any FFL, if you go to any store like you know, Academy Sports, Dick Sporting Goods, any brick and mortar store, any business that sells guns, you have that background check. So what they're really hinting at is universal background checks, which many have already ruled are invasion of privacy, unconstitutional. That, now depending on what, you, what state you live in, a majority of the states still have the law written that if you want to sell a gun to a friend or a family member or even someone, you just sell it to them. You, it's prudent to perform a bill of sale, depending on what your state maybe ask, maybe ask for a copy of their concealed carry license or their driver's license. But you can do that without having the additional background check and filling out a 4473, which is the paperwork that you fill out, think of it as a job application to buy a gun. So they're really trying to get rid of that. And 
one of the main proponents against those laws around having background checks around every back every transaction is that it would de facto make a government database of all the guns in circulation or more accurately all the guns lawful abiding citizens sell in circulation and once you have a registration of all those guns if you look at historically nothing good has ever come from that it always leads to i believe there's a couple of politicians who said it more accurately than i can or more bombastically perhaps but there's only two reasons to really know that is to tax them or to take them and historically it's always to take them whether that's china you got germany got australia canada like it's never not happened as soon as they have that data they want that data for a reason and it will be to tax it or take it which again only hurts the people who are following the laws so it's going to hurt the people who are trying to protect themselves and their families so many speculate one is it constitutional two would it be effective many say it would not he also wants to promote secure storage which depending on your situation it's always of course i think it's prudent to have if you're going to invest in guns invest in a very good gun safe because you're protecting your assets it's also a safety issue now, depending on my speculation or rather my concern about anything around a legality in that regard is some states have had it in which you have to secure firearms and ammo separately at all times. I believe a couple years back, Illinois had that law. So legally speaking, the only way you could have a gun in your house in Illinois was you would have a locked ammo box and the opposite side of the house and a locked gun on the opposite side of the house. So if you ever had to use your gun as intended to defend yourself and your family, it would take you, what, minutes if you're lucky? So it's a huge disadvantage in that regard. Many people think it's more prudent to have a self-lock box by the bed or depending if you have kids, you have like a lock box by the bed where you put your hand or fingerprint on it, enter a code, the box is unlocked and you have a loaded gun, thereby decreasing that time to actually load it and ensure you're ready to mitigate the situation. In the past, politicians have tried to make everyone an FFL dealer, or they actually tried to say, if you sell more than one gun a year, you are considered a firearm dealer. I almost think that would backfire to the government because if you make everyone an FFL, that means they can ship guns to their house because they're registering their house as a FFL business. And depending on what jurisdiction you live in, that may or may not be legal as well, depending on zoning laws or just the business laws there which that would allow them to get more guns, ironically enough. However, that also opens you up to additional searches and oversight. So I don't know if that would actually give them the effect they're looking for. And another part of the initiative or people are concerned about is the last month the Justice Department received more than $2 million to assist in red flag laws for states, which received a lot of criticism because by definition there's no due process or justice. It is you accuse someone, they go, they take their guns. After the fact, the burden is on that person to go to court and prove that they are not a threat to themselves or others. And there have been documented incidents where you have malicious ex-girlfriends, ex-boyfriends pointing the finger at the other one just to mess with their lives. It's, and you also disarm that person so now they are vulnerable. So it's one of those things where it's a in my opinion, unconstitutional to you have a right to your pro property. You can't have it taken away without due process. They're taking it away before you have due process. 
And another thing, it just, in my opinion, won't have any effect. It's all about culture and very little to do with the actual instrument that people use. Now, going over to Gavin Newsom, it turns out he did not disclose his ties to Silicon Valley Bank or SVB, as it's become known more and more, which recently went belly up. And now there's many people lobbying and proposing to have a bailout. Now, specifically, he did lobby for them to be bailed out. And he also, at the same time he is advocating for them to get government money, government money, he has several accounts with that bank. And you are protected if you have below $250,000. That's what it means when a bank is insured by FDIC. But if it's above that, that's when you either have to insure it yourself or you lose it. Now, specifically, three of his private wineries uses SVB as a bank, and his wife's charity also uses that bank. And then lastly, some reports say that he has a personal account with that bank for a while. It's unknown if he still has that now. And California, this should be well known, but if you don't, it's California bans laws, or sorry, bans officials from influencing decisions where they have a quote unquote financial interest. And lastly, SVB donated $100,000 to Gavin Newsom's wife's charity, California Partners Project. So there's a lot of back and forth between these two entities. And it seems to have a clear conflict of interest. So some are saying it would be appropriate for him to recluse himself from any votes that the government does in terms of choosing to decide to invest in a bailout for this company. That I think that would be prudent and it would be more transparent to tell your constituents that there's a conflict of interest. You want to sit back in the situation. He can give his opinion, but I don't think he should have the ability to vote on any initiatives to bail out the bank because of that clear conflict of interest. And that goes for any politician in power as well. And I'm sure we'll find other ones who also have similar situations where they had assets or a conflict of interest in this bank. It was one of the biggest banks. So I'm sure there's a ripple effect. And it could also be speculated, well, a lot of people in the government own stock. A lot of those stocks are tech companies which do business with SVB. So it'll be interesting to see how far the ripple effect goes and if they are also defined as conflict of interest by their states. Now, going into the business blunder of the day, Honda noted that they are going to recall half a million cars in the United States and Canada. Now, the recall is due to an issue with the front seat belts not latching correctly. Honda noted that they did not have any reports of injuries from the issue. So, at least it's not a complete blunder. They're getting ahead of the situation, and thankfully no one was hurt. So that's always some good news. And specifically, Honda noted that the surface coating on the channel for the seatbelt buckle can deteriorate over time, and the release button can shrink against the channel during low temperatures, which in turn increases the friction to stop the, buck the buckle from latching, which is all fancy talk for saying their seatbelts don't work, rudimentally speaking. Specifically, this will affect the Honda CRV manufactured from 2017 to 2023, Honda Accord from 2018 to 2019, Honda Odyssey in 2020, Honda Insight in 2019, as well as Honda-owned Acura, the Acura RDX 2019 and 2020. And this is especially a blunder because Honda makes some of the most reliable cars ever. I have family members, including myself, in Honda Civic, Honda Accord. Those things are darn near, darn near bulletproof. 
I mean, my family still has a 2001 Honda Accord. It's still running to this day. It's just a champ, and it has to deal with rust, rust on the roads because of the sand, or rather the salt. And it still runs to this day. So they make one of the most reliable vehicles on the planet and have recalls just chisels away at that image of reliability. Yeah, it's fair to say every company does have recalls. Every automotive manufacturer goes through it. No one's no one's impervious or no one's... It's perhaps impossible to have a car company without having recalls these days because there's so many components in it. So it's good that they got ahead of the situation. No one's hurt, but still, Honda, that is for sure the business blunder of the day. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in today. If you'd like to see more content like this, don't forget to like, subscribe, comment. Appreciate everyone who... Subscribe to the last video. helps me out a lot. And also, don't forget, tell your family, tell your friends, tell your coworkers, heck, tell your enemies, tell anyone to stay safe and fight the good fight.